Okay, we're recording. Um, <clears throat> I'm Jeff, and we've got Charlie here. And Charlie, I don't, I don't know um, what all you wanted to talk about, but um, selfishly, I just wanted to invite you to talk about yourself a little bit and tell your story. Yeah, I'm good with that. <clears throat> okay. It's a good first place to start. So um, I am originally from and still live in the northwest corner of Arkansas. I consider myself now agnostic. I went from fervent believer to atheist back to agnostic side because of listening to Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures. Um, just kind of opened my eyes back up to the fact that there is something, but I don't know what the heck that is. Mm. So kind of where I'm at, just trying to figure that part out. Did you um, did you grow up in a religious family? Uh, Southern Baptist, yes. So I'm sure you know a little bit about that. I do. I have a. I've attended one or two uh, Southern Baptist churches in my life <laughs> growing up. Um, what was that like? Was your was your family just fully involved and you were in it from birth or, or how did that go? Uh, yep. My my mom was very involved and I was in it from, you know, the time I was born all the way up through. So in a in a Southern Baptist context, um, did you have like a uh, like a day that you got saved or is there an experience that you can remember or that you can point back to? I remember being maybe eight, but no, it was one week shy of my eighth birthday. Um, I recited the Lord's Prayer and was baptized the next week. Um, and they tell you that, you know, that's it. You're good to go. They don't tell you about the condition of anything else. Like, that's it. You're good to go. So I never really heard the experience that other people talk about. Like I, I never got there because I didn't meet God at the bottom. Mm. Did you do the, you said you prayed the Lord's prayer. Did you, I, I know in the, in some context, there's like a, the sinner's prayer and, you know, asking Jesus to come into your heart and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was the sinner's prayer, but they just called it the Lord's prayer. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that the Catholics and other people, you know. And, uh, you know, you said it was around age eight. Yeah. Was it was it something that you felt as best as you can remember feeling at age eight um, that you were feeling like it was your own choice, or do you feel kind of like it was? Because um, I've known people who have gone to like youth camps whenever they were young, and kind of felt like they were. Um, what's the right way to say it? Uh, swept up or kind of like compelled or something like that. Not compulsion is probably too strong of a word, but did, did you feel like it was, it was kind of your decision or do you feel like it was something that you were kind of um, persuaded into? Oh no, it was definitely a persuasion. Like there's the one that we went to, there's a very specific age where they call it the age of understanding. Mm -hmm. Like you from, just the mythology of the story to now you understand what all this means supposedly and that like that door kind of closes at nine mm. 
at the age of nine, they felt like if you weren't there yet, then you probably weren't going to get there. So it was, it was a time constraint. Like all the kids felt it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, after that, you did, did I read right that you eventually went on to seminary? Oh, yes, sir. Dallas Theological Seminary. So what, uh, you, did you grow up in Arkansas as well? Yes, sir. What was the, what was the, the path like for you from that, that moment of, um, you know, of, of getting baptized in the Southern Baptist Church? What, what's the, what's the in-between story from there to seminary? You know, I did a lot of things that I knew made my family happy. And I think attending seminary was one of them because they're like, oh, you can, you know, you're articulate, you're smart, like this is something you should do. Like it was never, I didn't feel a calling to do it, but they were just like, oh, this is something you should do because of these things and because you care about people. So they're like, this is perfect. You know, you should go do this. And off I went because it made them happy. Did you have any um, family that had any pastoral or, or church work experience? No. Or seminary training, nobody in the family at all? No. Um, what, was your, what was your experience in, in seminary like? Did you enjoy it or was it a pain or what was that like? Oh, I deeply enjoyed it. I really did. I love the people there. I, nobody was, it, it's a huge disconnect from that to getting back into the church because nobody there is willing to just throw out or sweep ideas under the rug. Any idea is worth exploring, like anything at all. And that, for me, that was the best experience I've had with it because you could just explore anything and everything that you wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, and you said you eventually moved to um, atheism. Um, did that was that as a result of seminary, or was there was there something else that happened? Oh God, no! That wasn't a result of seminary. I went to <laughs> no, no. I just asked that because I've heard that story before. Of you know, I I went to seminary, and then that's when I realized that I was an atheist. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, that was the result of a mismatch between like what they what you learn in seminary and what the church actually acts like mm. so that was uh, i'll give you the best example of the straw that broke the camel's back have you ever heard of world changers uh, it sounds familiar yeah they do a lot of out-of-state uh, mission trips with youth groups where you actually go into communities and help clean up after disasters or you help roof houses or landscape or paint or just anything to help the community. So I decided we were going to go do that as a youth group. I asked for volunteers to go help us. And you know what I got? Money. That's all they wanted to do. Open their checkbook and give money. Not a hmm. single person wanted to go help chaperones. And that, for me, I was like, if if that's the God that is supposed to exist, I don't believe that. Not for a minute. 
And that was, that was when you were like, had you, had you, did you move out of um, seminary into church work? Is that what that experience was? Yeah. And so what was, what was the role that you moved into whenever you left seminary? Uh, youth pastor. Youth pastor. And then um, what, what was that? Uh, I'm assuming that that church was back in Arkansas as well. Yes, sir. What was the size of it? Mm, 400 regular attendees and at least 100 in youth group. So a pretty good sized church, huh? Yeah. Um, so after, after that experience, did you have family at the time? Like, um, a wife or kids or anything like that? Yeah, by that time I had, I was married and had my first child, my oldest daughter, her only daughter. Okay. Where did, um, where did you and your wife meet? Uh, we met here in Arkansas before I left. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And was, um, what what was your experience like in in transitioning you know to atheist uh how did how did that impact your your family i wouldn't say it was anywhere near a negative impact because the way i always treated it is like when i when i made that shift i knew i still instinctively knew that following the teaching of jesus christ in the bible was the right way to go about your life and if you did, things just worked out better. I didn't know how, but I knew mm. that that was the case. So mm. it was just, for me, it was like, even if it doesn't seem rational to follow this, I know that things worked out better when I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know with some families, as far as atheism goes, particularly with more conservative um, denominations in Christianity, can get very anxious about that, you know, very concerned about, the eternal destiny to use some of that language of, you know, their loved ones. And I'm, I'm curious if you had any kind of, um, uh, reaction like that from, you know, extended family or parents oh, yeah. or family for sure. Yeah. It was just like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And I'm like, well, you need to go to the church and ask those people that because, you know, you go in there and you sing about them being the hands and the feet of Jesus, and they're not. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you that right now. They're not. At least at that particular church, they're most definitely not. Mm -hmm. And did they, uh, did they express, like, worry or concern about you? Like, did they, did they continue to, to reach out to you or try to, try to bring you back? Or what was that like? Oh, yeah, they were always there trying to. And I'm like, you know, I just, it's, I don't feel it. Mm -hmm. I don't. It's like, I don't feel it the same way you guys do. And I'm sorry, but I just don't. It's like, you know, I'm willing to live my life the right way according to what the teachings are, but I just don't feel it the same way that you do. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you familiar with Matt Dillahunty? Yes. Yeah. Because I, I remember hearing him tell some stories about, you know, what his family was like and how his parents are always trying to, 
um, from his perspective, smuggle it in and continue to, to use it as, um, you know, they'll, they'll send him like a Christmas card or a birthday card. You might be familiar with this and they'll, they'll slip in there, you know, and we're praying for you that you'll, that you'll open your eyes and you'll see the truth or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I never had much use for that guy because he wants to attack Christmas and that's not what yeah. I'm about. Yeah. I just, I, like, to me, it doesn't matter. Like, that's your faith. That's how you get to where you should be. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I'd much rather leave people alone to, to deal with that the way that they see fit. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's tough. Um, you know, because I know some family members who are just like, you know, it it gives them a lot of panic or a lot of anxiety because they're, they're worried that their loved one is going to hell if they can't, you know, um, say that they actually believe anymore, like um, actively uh, believe. I don't even really know what I mean by that, but they know what they mean by it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's so hard for me because I don't understand how they get that disconnect. Where mm-hmm. it's like going to the building, doing the things in the building, like that's all it is to them. Like once mm-hmm. they're outside the building, they don't they don't act the same way. It's like while they're in there, it's almost like they have an experience while they're in the building that they forget once they leave the building. Mm. I'm like, that's just that's not right. Like read your Bible, that's not how it's described at all. It reminds me of the opening of a, there's a DC Talk song. Are you familiar with DC Talk? Yeah. The Christian band. Um, there's a DC Talk song called What If I Stumble? And it starts off with some audio, and I'm not sure who the person is. I haven't researched it. But it, it starts off with a, a little clip of someone saying, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny them by their lifestyle. Yep. That, that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I think that's the whole quote. Yep, and that's, that's the whole truth of it. But, you know, I'm much better off with the agnosticism because, I, like I said, I know there's something there. I just don't fully understand it. And I can't make a commitment to something that I don't fully understand Mm. so um you said you you were able to move into agnosticism because of jordan peterson how did you find how'd you come across jordan peterson okay this is going to sound crazy but i i used to watch uh steven crowder's videos and (laughs) just on a whim i'm like who is this Canadian psychologist he's having on? I'm like, what? what's the deal with this? Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, I was like, okay, this guy's kind of really deep thinker. So then the first thing I come across of his, like later on, was the biblical lectures. Mm. And I said, oh, hey, wait a minute. Like, he's describing, he's describing God the way I always pictured God would be. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I, I need to pay attention to this. And I caught it at the very beginning. So, you know, of course, it's waiting forever and ever for the next one to be released. 
but every time <laughs> I heard, I was like, no, he's right. Like, there's something there. He's right about this. Mm. I just can't define it, but I know from listening to that that, yeah, he's absolutely right. There's something beneath it all. I just don't know what that is. Um, was there something different in uh, his approach? What, what did you see that was different in Peterson that you hadn't ever like heard or seen before as it relates to religion and the Bible in particular? Well, everything he did was pragmatic. Like he took an entire pragmatic, because he is a pragmatist. Like his whole approach to it, everything is pragmatic. So you can see like when he tells the story of Abraham needing to sacrifice his son. Like he tells that whole story and it's like you could see it was like a vision into the past for me. I could see Abraham doing that and I could see the conditions that would have to be present for him to think that he really needed to sacrifice his son. It was just like that was one of the stories that when he told it I was like that's God. Whatever that thing is that he's describing right there is God. Like, that's exactly mm. how God would react. That's exactly how he would interact with people. And so you, actually, you're the, you're the second person that I've heard that said they found Jordan Peterson, and it started with Steven Crowder. Um, I think Andrew Kay on the Discord, <laughs> I think he said. It was like, oh, that's how I heard of him, too. Yeah, something similar, or at least that was the trail that led him to Jordan Peterson. So that's funny. Um, so I want to back up for just a second. So you, you had that experience as a youth pastor, and, and how much long after that was it that you eventually left um, the ministry? Oh, we came back from, it was a week-long mission trip. We came back and i addressed the entire church and told them what i thought about what they were doing and that was it i left mm. did you get any feedback from the pastor any conversations that uh the pastor was attempting to have or anything like that oh yeah well i mean he pulled me into the office to talk to me and he's like he's like you have to understand this is just the way it works like how these people are that's how they're going to interact with you and that's like there's nothing you can do about it and i was like well i'm telling you right now they're not acting commensurate with what god is mm. i'm sorry to have to tell you that as a pastor but your congregation is kind of flawed mm. and that's not an easy conversation to have i loved these people i really did mm -hmm. truly and it just it broke my heart to have to say something like that but it's just And so after, after that, um, you, you, so just seeing that, was it just like an immediate switch of, well, I just don't think that there is a God because of this, or were there, were there other things along the path that kind of took you in that direction? No, really, because, you know, seeing that and then talking to other friends that I had that were in the ministry that were frustrated too, just like, yeah, this is how it is. Like, mm -hmm. just not living out their faith anymore. And I thought, if that's what God is, like, that's, you know, the thing that they're saying they believe in, if that's God, yeah, that's not for me. I'm going to mm -hmm. go back to 
I'm going to go back to what the teachings of the Bible say, and I'm going to try to figure it out because mm-hmm. me is not God. Was there, was there, I know, I know some people go to atheism and they completely dismiss the Bible outright. They dismiss the gospels. They even dismiss, you know, Jesus as, as nothing relevant. It was all just, um, you know, make believe or some type of a, uh, some conspiracy isn't the right word, but a sham, I guess. Um, was there anything that where you felt like that was the case or, or what kept you tethered to sticking with the Bible and, and sticking with the, the teachings of Jesus as you understood them? Uh, just observational reality. Like you can look at things that they wrote that thousands of years ago and look at how people act now and you're like, well, yeah, that's right. Like people still act that way. So there's something to this. Not a big giant sham. Like I, I never got that far. The mm-hmm. whole my Harris thing and Dawkins and Sam Harris. I'm just like, you guys are so stupid. Like, <laughs> we, I come up with a better argument because that's not it. So you still saw plenty of value in the in what the Bible had to offer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you listened to the Jordan Peterson lectures. Um, it it opened you into uh, agnosticism. Um, and so there's this guy on YouTube named Paul Vanderclay. <laughs> And I'm, I think you eventually made your way to him. Um, how, did, how did you get to Paul Vanderclay and how did you get onto uh, the Discord server? Well, I, I'm friends with someone on Twitter. Friends is always term. I don't really know him, but you know Boss on the Discord. Yep. And he sent me a direct message on Twitter and he said, hey, you know, here's this video and they're talking about me. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go check out the video. And I was watching, I watched the whole thing and he's like, and I said something about the Discord server. And he's like, oh yeah, Paul links to it in his video description. You should check it out. And I did, I assumed he'd been on there for a while, but I guess not. When he sent me, or when I clicked on the link and I was like, I'm just going to check this out and see what people are talking about. But Paul mm-hmm. Vander's like, like, in my opinion, he's, he's in your face. He doesn't say like, oh no, God's just really nice. And he's like, <laughs> yep, God was brutal. Deal with it. And I'm like, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, like, where is that at in my area? Why is nobody saying that? Like, God was brutal. Yeah, deal with it. Like, you don't get to understand what that is. So what? Mm-hmm. At least he's being honest and real about what he believes. Mm-hmm. So I, I have respect for people like that. And so you found Paul through um, Voth had sent you a, a link to one of Paul's videos. Is that right? Yeah, he was talking with uh, Andrea with the bangs. Okay. Talking to her. I was just like, this guy's like, he's, he's legit. He says exactly what he means. So that conversation with Andrea, um, that was your first experience with Paul? Yeah. And um, you said you and you and Voth are Twitter buddies. Um, how did you guys first start interacting on Twitter? Uh, well, 
what was it? Oh, it was that big debate that Peterson and, uh, oh my gosh, what was it even about? There, there were four debate people on the stage. And I know the Peterson, Sam Harris ones? No, no, no. There were four of them on stage. It was, I'll think of them here. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson was one of them. Oh, gotcha. Okay, the Munger, is it Munger or Monk? I can't remember. Yeah, that big Something debate. like that. And I'd already kind of been wandering around on Twitter looking at things, and that came up, and I just made a comment about something that someone said on there, and he replied with something else, and then we started having discussions more slowly over time about different things, and... I guess it's probably been almost three years we've known each other on Twitter. And he was able to show me that Discord server, and I was like, oh, okay, let me go check that out. <laughs> but we're talking about a lot of the same things you're talking about. So mm -hmm. you check it out. And how have you liked it so far? Oh, everybody's receptive. I mean, like, it, it, for me, it's like being back in seminary. Like, there's nothing that's off-limits that you shouldn't talk about, really. Mm -hmm. You know, other than being filthy. But, you know, there's, like, ideas, there's nothing off-limits. Mm -hmm. Nobody's saying, like, you shouldn't talk about this. Yeah. Like, everybody's open and receptive to, okay, sure, I'll go down that road. Yeah, and I just, I really like the spirit of the, of the people who are on there too. You know, everybody seems to have um, the, the default position for everyone coming in and everybody who's listening is they're taking everybody at good faith, right? There's no, it's like the, the stuff that you'll a lot of times see on Twitter or see on Facebook, Facebook or other social media outlets where it's just, I have this position, I'm going to state it and I'm going to prove that I'm right. And I don't care what you have to say. I'm not going to listen to you. You know, I don't, if I want to say it's, it's almost, it's very rare that you see that on the discord, if ever. I mean, I think it's probably happened a couple of times and we have a special channel called the forum for people to go duke it out if they want to do that. But that thing really hasn't been used for that purpose in probably a couple months now. That's cool. Cause I, I just, I don't know. Everyone is so open and receptive about like any idea like, okay, well, why do you think that? Cause that's, that's where I am. Like if I put out a thesis or a theory on something, mm -hmm. I'm for somebody to poke holes in it so that I know where I'm wrong and then I can fix it mm -hmm. until it's something that's solid and that's why I put stuff out there like that. You know, it's just like, go ahead, poke holes in it. Yeah. See where it's wrong, logically. Like, go for it. And you, um, you've been able to interact a little bit on the voice chat on Discord as well, right? Yeah. And I think, uh, I guess it was, it might have been last week. I can't remember. Maybe it was a few days ago. You were able to jump on there and you were able to talk to Luke for a little while and a, a couple of other people. Iron Root. Iron Root in particular, I'm remembering this now. What was that yeah. like? <laughs> he's, he's a lot, he's a joy to talk to. He really mm. is very methodical in his thinking about things. You know, I, 
generally I'll try to get on there if I see him now I try to get on there at least once a day and have like 10 to 15 minutes with him and just see where he's at for the day and what he's thinking about you know I know he lives way far away from where I'm at but I still care about him and in a certain sense I understand some of the struggles he's going through and I just like talking to him like Mm -hmm. figuring out he's at in his head that day yeah he's a he's a good guy Um, so you left the ministry. Um, what do you, what do you do now? No, I think I told you this earlier today. I'm an arborist by day and then I'm a custodian supervisor at night for the public school. So I saw the picture that you posted today where, um, you uh, you took some chunks out of some trees. <laughs> you took down some trees, basically. <laughs> yeah. What is uh What does that work entail? I I saw that you're taking it down. Are you? What does an arborist do? What's What's the job description? Mm, well, I mean, we're in the we we try to conserve what we can if it's not dead and we can save it, or if it is like it is now, I'm actually cleaning up storm damage from two tornadoes that moved through a couple towns away from me. So mm-hmm. like all these trees are already uprooted. We're cutting them up and splitting them up with firewood. Okay. And that picture you saw today, that one we actually had to take down because it was dead. I could see a hole where carpenter ants had made a home in the middle of it and were killing it from the inside. So we had to take that one down. Mm. There was no because otherwise it would have went down on its own. And you said you do what by night? Uh, I work for the public schools as a custodian. Okay. And you sent me a a picture or two. You are, um, what's the the right way to say this? You are are an influencer of, uh, of books for the staff to read? Yeah. Well, they were already doing it, so I thought, well, I'm going to introduce some books that maybe they haven't read because they're obligated to post it on a sign on their classroom door. Mm-hmm. So just can ask them about the book. Like, ask them, oh, is this a good book, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, I'm going to slowly start introducing some to my collection for the teachers to pass around and read. Mm-hmm. Then the kids get to say, like, whoa, what's this? Like, when they see Nietzsche, they're going to be like, who's this guy? Like, why are you reading this book? And then that teacher is going to be able to tell them like, oh, let me tell you this whole story about this. Mm-hmm. Or C.S. Lewis. They don't know who C.S. Lewis is. But, you know, they're going to see that book and they're going to be like, hey, what is this? You know, they're going to ask the art teacher and she's going to be like, oh, let me tell you how great this book is. <laughs> so I'm trying to influence the kids through the teachers, you know? Yeah. Have you had any conversations with the teachers about the books while they're reading them? Oh, yeah. I talked to the history teacher about Beyond Good and Evil. He's like, I can't believe I've never read anything like this. I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, wait till the art teacher's done. She's got a C.S. Lewis book you'll like. And I talked with her. She's like, oh, God, I love this book. Like, <laughs> do you have any more by him? And I was like, yeah. I said, when you get done with it, let me know. I'll give you another one. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, C.S. Lewis is my favorite author. Um, 
you know, and he, he led me to George McDonald, which I haven't read in a while, but it was about 15 years ago that I read everything George McDonald that I could get my hands on, at least um, his nonfiction. I haven't read a lot of his fiction. Um, but uh, yeah, Lewis and McDonald, those are, those are some really big ones for me. Yep. I can understand why. <laughs> well, that reminds me, actually. Um, so I've talked to Paul Vanderclay a couple of times. And in one of my conversations with him, I had a whole list of different topics to talk about. And um, one of the items on my list that we didn't get to was when Peterson sounds like Lewis or vice versa when they remind me of each other. Cause that was one of the things that stood out to me when I first started listening to Peterson's biblical lectures uh -huh. is this, this guy just has like a quality about him that reminds me of Lewis in how he can illustrate things in ways that you just never considered them before. Um, and I found that to be a rarity. It was something that I had only found in Lewis. Now I'm, I'm far from well-read, but you know, of the things that I did come across, none of it was the way that Lewis seemed to do it. And so when I finally encountered Peterson and those biblical lectures, I was like, wow, here's somebody that has that very, you know, similar quality. And I guess, I don't know, it was a few days back that I sent you a link to a Peterson radio interview that he did several years back around Maps of Meaning. Yeah. And there was that piece in there where he started talking about, he went to a, he went to a, a forum on psychedelics, I think somewhere here in the United States. It was something that at the time he would attend on a yearly basis, just studies and, and what they're learning about psychedelics. And um, the radio host asked Peterson, he said, you know, what, what can you tell us that you've brought back from that conference? And essentially Peterson said, well, there wasn't a whole lot, you know, that was all that interesting to me this year, but last year when I went, there was something really fascinating. And that's where he talks about um, the thalamus in the, in the brain and how it gates or how it restricts all of the sensory input that our bodies are taking in and, and feeding to our brain um, and how it gates all of that because it's just, there's so much of it that we take in, but our brains only, um, our prefrontal cortex, and I'm probably saying it wrong, <laughs> is, uh, is only being provided the, the data that is um, uh, applicable to whatever our, whatever our goal or our goals are right? And everything else is just kind of filtered out. And then I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard because you've listened to this as well. But um, he then goes on to say, well, you know, if you think about reality, reality is just so overwhelming. Um, there's just so much there. And then he transitions on, transitions on to talk about the idea of God as God being the totality of being, I think is the, is the phrase that he used. And there was, there was so much in that conversation that reminded me of, of something that Lewis had written once. And I've posted this on the discord before. It's a, it's a very long quote, but I think it's out of Lewis's book, God in the dock where um, Lewis talks about history 
and mm-hmm. he talks about how our experience in life, you know, there's, there's so much going on and we're only capturing tiny little snippets of it, a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of what's actually here in reality, right? Everything that passes by in, in one second of our existence, we can only account for part of it. And even the parts that we're accounting for aren't actually telling the truth of everything that was there in the first place. And it's going by second by second by second. And there's an infinite number of, of um, things that are happening and, and things that exist in each one of these events. And so when I think about that, um, that just, that reminded me, that, that was a connection point for me between Lewis and Peterson, where he was just talking about, you know, the totality of being and everything around us. It's just, it's so, it's so um, overwhelming. And then something that you posted last night about time and about the future and about God being the future and being something that we can bargain with. And um, I can't remember exactly what you said, but the, the thought that I had on that that was kind of similar was there's a passage in the Old Testament in Exodus. Um, I think it's Exodus 33 where Moses talks to God and says, you know, I want to see your glory. And in the story, God says, um, well, I'll show you my glory, but I can't show you my face. So I'm going to hide you over here in the, in the side of this. I'm going to put you on this rock. And as I pass by, I'm going to cover the little part of this cleft of the rock that you're standing in. And you can't see my face because if you see my face, you're going to die. But if I put my hand here, I'm going to cover it up and I'll let you see the back of me. You will be able to see the back of me. And I think about that story. And I think about it, um, the, I think about the possibility that it could be a, an abstraction of how we experience time and how we experience reality. And I think about the part that Moses was allowed to see as kind of how we experience time. You know, we're able to see the back, we're able to see the past. Um, but if we were able to see what we call time and if we were able to see um existence as it really is without just this this time-bound perception that we have we would we would die we wouldn't be able to handle it we would just completely explode or our brains would melt or or our existence would would crumble um to a certain extent um and i'm probably overstating that a lot there what i'm thinking about it is if if you if you just think about it in terms of our brains if you if the thalamus weren't gating everything and you let it go, um, could we handle the, the immensity of everything that there is around us? You know, could, could our prefrontal cortex to, to continue with that language be able to um, handle just everything that there is coming at us? And um, I kind of think of that story as a little bit of God saying, yeah, if I, if I showed you that, that would be me taking the gate of the thalamus down and then you would just be completely overwhelmed with existence and with reality as it is with the totality of being. Yeah. And you know, that brings me back to like, I, I questioned that I put that out there and hope that people would discuss it because I think that's the story of Adam and Eve. I think that's what happened to Eve when she ate the fruit. When the scale fell from her eyes, she had a vision of future, and it was scary. Mm-hmm. Because the question is not only there is a future, 
and I have to prepare for it. But part of that vision is God can become angry and it can be my fault. Mm. And it's like that. But yeah, where you're going with that, like if you drop that gate, I, I think people would become so neurotic, they wouldn't be able to handle it mm. because there's, there's too much. Like the sensory overload would just be too much alone. Yeah. But, you know, and that's the old idea of if you knew everything God knew, you'd probably be dead because there's <laughs> too much to know. Mm -hmm. like you get glimpses of what future is, but it's only enough that you have to make decisions based on what the future could be, like how it lays itself out to you. So you only get snippets. You never really see the totality of it. Mm. That's why when Peterson said that, like, God as the totality of being, I'm like, who would dare say they believe in that? Mm. Or Old Testament, who would dare say they don't believe in that? Like, because that's just, that's, that's brutal. In a sense, it's beautiful and it's brutal. If you think about God as the totality of all being, like, man. That's something that if you're going to go down that road, that's something you have to pay very close attention to. Mm. Um, here, here's an idea that I wanted to try out on you. I haven't talked about uh, talked about this on the Discord, and I really don't think I've talked to anybody about it before. Um, and I haven't. Paul Vanderclay posted a, a video today, and I haven't gotten very far into it, so I don't know if he really touches on this all that much or not, but. Years ago, I was listening to, I don't know, it was some pastor's sermon on Christian radio. This was several years ago now, probably 20 years ago. And he was talking about atheists versus believers. And he said, you know, ultimately, neither side can prove anything. Ultimately, nope. the believers can't prove uh from the way that we call proving the way that we use the word proving you know empirically particularly empirically um neither side can prove that god does exist or god does not exist and that's always stuck with me and i've always thought so ultimately the atheist who says that there is no god and the believer who says that there is a god are kind of ending up well, no, I'm, I'm getting two different ideas confused. So let me, let me step away from that one for just a second. And again, I've never talked about this before, so it's probably going to come out very clumsily. So I apologize. <laughs> um, uh, the way that I see it is that the believer who says, yeah, you know, there is a God and um, particularly the, um, the, the Christian believer, the um, let's, let's say the, well, I, I guess what you would call like a, a quote unquote standard Christian, anybody who would fall in the, in the Orthodox slash uh, the Eastern Orthodox, the Catholic or the Protestant denominations. I, I call all of those quote unquote normal Christian believers, but that's probably not even fair. But I, I'm saying that type of Christian would be one who says, yeah, you know, I, I believe in a God and I actually believe that, um, God is, is personal and acts with intent and an intelligence in the world. And your atheist might say things like even, 
even Sam Harris kind of uh, said, well, I agree that all of those things exist, Jordan. Um, These weren't his words exactly, but when Peterson gave his laundry list of what he means when he says God, um, you know, Brett Weinstein and Sam Harris were like, well, yeah, all of those things. But, um, you know, so, so in my mind, the atheist kind of believes several, almost all of the same aspects that a, a Christian believes about uh, reality. Uh, I'll use reality as an insert for God. Um, except the believer, to me, it boils down to the, the believer, the theist, so to speak, says, yeah, and there's a mind behind it all. Like there is a person. There is an intent. And the atheist would say, no, all of that stuff is there, but it's, it's mindless. It, it has no intent. And to me, that's, I think that's what it ultimately boils down to is, is the difference between uh, a theist and an atheist who are both seeing all of these similar things in reality. I don't, I don't know if that makes much sense. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to work out these thoughts as I'm talking them through. Right, I just want no, to see what you thought about that. The atheists are taking a leap of faith too. They're just taking a leap of faith in the other direction. They're basing their faith in science because they can't prove that God doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Any more than Christians can prove empirically that God doesn't ex- or does exist, atheists have the same problem. You know, you could create an atheist church really quick. It wouldn't take long. It wouldn't take any longer than, you know, the secular leftist church that you're seeing spring up. You know, it, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't take them that long to build that out. They're doing the same leap of faith. They're just doing it to the other side. Mm. And, you know, I thought Jordan did a very good job of calling Sam Harris out on that. And he called out something a little bit deeper. He called out Sam Harris's fear. Because Sam Harris's fear is he knows that something like God exists, but if he says it, he knows that there's things that he has to do about it, and he's not willing to do those things. Hmm. He's very scared of that. I can see it when he talks about it. He he tries to be so flippant and dismissive of it, but at the same time, he knows it's there, and it scares him, and he doesn't know what to do about it. He's even said if he was a Christian, like he would be a fundamentalist. He's one of those people that once he's convinced of it, bam, that's it. He's convinced. There's no changing his mind ever. That's just how it is. But I think it scares him because he knows that Jordan's right, that there's something underneath it all. But Sam Harris doesn't want to explore that. He says, no, there's nothing underneath it all. It's all lies. It's a mind virus. And I'm like, you're doing yourself disgusted, really. Like, just say, I don't know. That's even more of a true statement because you don't know. I can't, uh, I'm trying to remember. I'm thinking also Sam Harris, you know, I get the impression, I haven't watched those those, uh, conversations that he had. Um, with Peterson on stage at the the various venues in a while. But I want to say he was also saying something like, uh, and I don't want to give cover to all of these. What was he doing? It, it was like he was, he was saying, well, Jordan, you know, I, 
I basically respect you and your ideas and what you're saying, but all, all of these other people out there, you know, they think that you're giving them, that you're propping up what their version of God is. And, and they think that you're saying the same thing that, um, that they are saying about God. And I think what he meant by that is this, this very person, the fundamentalist um, Christian God. And so I think that's a really big, I guess you could call it fear of, of Sam Harris's as well, because I think that from his perspective, he sees a lot of, a lot of damage and a lot of um, danger. And dare I say, I don't know if he's ever used this word evil, that that kind of, um, of uh, not manifestation, but that, that type of um, expression of religion, he, he sees that as a, as a horrible thing that's holding, holding everyone back and that's causing harm to humanity. And, he, and he's so stupid with it. You know, he calls it the mind virus and all that. And I'm like, I'm like, damn, you're talking about like two different modes of Christianity. You're talking about, you know, pre-Reformation and where we're at now. It's like, you, you're not going to find a whole lot of Christian people you disagree with anymore. You're just really not. Hmm. Sorry, but I hate to tell you, but you're an atheist for the wrong reason. Because most people, if they read the moral landscape, I did. And it's like, Peterson's exactly correct. He lays out a good picture of heaven and a good picture of hell. And he's like, move towards heaven, try to stay away from hell. It's like, Christians are going to tell you the same thing, buddy. Like, <laughs> try to do what's good and stay away from the bad. Like, they're in agreement with you. So you're just... He, he's lying to himself in order to not have his narrative broken is the way I see him. And I can't unsee that every time he talks. And just like, you're just telling yourself a lie. You'd be better off to say, I don't know, but I have this feeling that something exists outside of me and I have no clue what it is and it scares me. Like, just be honest about it. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I can, I can go for about 10 more minutes. Um, I don't know how you're doing on time. Is it like one twenty? Yeah, yeah, it's about, yeah. It's got about five more minutes. So. Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't know if there was anything that you wanted to talk about before we uh, wrap things up. No, I think it was really good conversation. Okay. Um, and just, you know, I'll, I'll put it in the, in the comments. If you're okay with posting this, I'm okay with posting it, but, uh, just to let everybody know your, your handle on the discord is thought journey, right? Yeah. Okay. So now everybody knows if you've just been watching to the end and you haven't read any of this, or you're just listening to it on the, on the bridges of meaning podcast, uh, that's, that's who we've been talking to here. <laughs> I should have, I should have done a better introduction at the beginning so that everybody knew. Um, oh, but yeah, uh, it's been it's been really good talking to you. I just there was one other thing that I remembered that we had talked about not too long ago. I can't I can't remember what question you asked me, um, like how I can't remember how you phrased it, but it was something about how do you say that something is? Do you remember that? Right, and it's something I've been trying to tease out of Iron Root too. I'm like, okay. 
eventually you have to say something is before you can really move on and figure out what you ought to do about that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you say God is? And man, that's a tough question. I can't like, cause everybody's different, right? So everybody's going to give you a different thing on what God is, but like, how do you move out from that? Once you've decided that you think you know what God is, how do you move out from that? Like, yeah. Personally. Yeah. And I think my answer was it's, it's something that I struggle with. Um, because uh, we've, we've used frames before in the, in the Paul Vanderclay discord community and, and he's talked about it. And, you know, Peterson has talked about hierarchies. Um, Paul's had a couple, if one, if not a couple of really good videos where he talks about how whatever you make the ultimate thing, um, the, the concept of God is the frame that you can make into the ultimate thing that can bear the weight of all that. Like if you were to make the ultimate thing, your spouse, your spouse would start to break down under the load and you would start to need things out of your spouse that your spouse is just incapable of providing. If you were to make it your job, the same thing. If you were to make it uh, your health and your fitness, the same thing, you'd start pouring, you know, if that became the ultimate thing that you valued above everything else, your, your life would fall apart because it couldn't, it couldn't bear the weight of that. And the idea is God, God is the concept of the thing that you can place in as the ultimate concern, as the, as the ultimate thing that bears all of that weight. And whenever I answered that question for you in the, in the discord, I was saying what I say is whatever the thing is that I can move forward from it's, it's as like, it, it's all, this is going to sound very postmodern and very relativistic. And, and I don't mean it that way, but it's whatever I understand to be the most ultimate thing at that moment, as best as I can perceive it. And then once that thing to allude to, you know, what you were saying earlier, um, once that thing has sufficient holes poked in it and it can't, it can't bear the weight of what I'm trying to put on it anymore. Well, that's obviously not it. I need to find, I need to find the next best thing. So whatever the best thing is that I can find that can hold up to all of these things, you know, that's what I, that's what I shift to next. And I think of, um, I think of Jesus in the gospels saying, you know, I am the rock that you would, that you would build everything on. Um, everything else is, is shifting sand. Um, I, I'm getting the parable completely wrong, but you know, that's, that's just what I think of. It's, it's whatever that, that rock is ultimately is, um, that's, that's a symbol of, of what God is. It's, it's the thing that, that everything else can be built on and can hold up, um, underneath the weight of it. Right. And that's why I told you you had an excellent answer for that because you're not against having your narrative or your worldview that you know you're like oh wow i hadn't considered that so now let me take in that piece of information and try to decide does that fit or does that not you know like that's that's the i don't see any other way around that being the optimal mode of living your life i just don't yeah well i'm i will say i'm uh to be fair i'm definitely resistant to it because burning off dead wood 
still hurts. <laughs> it is when you found yeah. to build it up, and then somebody's like, "Oh, there's there's a hole." Yeah, you're like, "Crap!" You know, <laughs> it does suck. That's yeah. what I've been trying to get to with Iron Root. It's like, you know, it's okay to build out a theory and then let somebody poke holes in. Yeah, All let right. somebody knock it down. Mm-hmm. Well, well we've got to get ready for the next job. So, All right. Well, it's been good talking to you. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. I appreciate you coming on, though. And uh, you're okay with, uh, with posting this, you said? Yep, totally fine. Okay, great. Well, good talking to you and have a great rest of your day. You do the same. It's good talking to you. All right. I'll see you on the Discord. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Bye.